0: We are in the middle of a series called Unshakable, And uh, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about the kingdom of God. It's really our our umbrella series for the kingdom of God. And it's been good because we wanted to see what the kingdom of God means to us. Because if you're not a believer in here, you're thinking about it, the kingdom of God is a big deal. If you are a believer in here, you need to know the kingdom of God is a big deal. That you and I, when we became Christians, we didn't join a religion. We joined a kingdom. That's what the Bible says. And in a kingdom, there's a king. There's only one. That seat's taken, and it ain't me, and it ain't you, it's God. And inside of that kingdom, he's got a way of living and a way of thinking we've been talking about. In fact, we use Hebrews 12 to talk about, it says, therefore, since we have been receiving a kingdom, that kingdom of God that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe. And so the last couple of weeks we've been talking about it, in week one, we talked about how the kingdom of God applies to our anxiety and our worry. And I've I've shared with you even in that week how I struggle with anxiety and worry. Like I have a, I have a struggle with it. I, 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 I deal with it on a regular basis. And, and God has a way of dealing with that, and helping us in that inside of the kingdom. And it's a benefit to you and I to be a part of the kingdom if you struggle with that because you can, you can learn how to not just deal with it, but to thrive in it. And, and that's what God wants for you in your life. And we too, last week, we talked about our positions in the kingdom. Sometimes we, we see God's kingdom a certain way that it's not. And because we see it how it's not, we can relate to God in a way that's not helpful or not biblical, and it can actually hurt us in our relationship with Him. We learned that instead of being life, having our life over God or under God or with God or for God, like we, we want to be in a life with God. Like Our job is to be with the Lord. God wants to be with you in relationship with you. He desperately loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. So today, we wanted to kind of continue this theme of the kingdom of God. And I want to talk to you about how we respond to the world. Because what's interesting about the world is that the world has a unique view on Christians and Christianity in general. And the funny thing is, and not so funny thing, to be quite honest, is that they're right in a lot of ways. They say we're hypocritical because guess what? We are. They say we're judgmental, why? Because guess what? We are. There's so many of those things that are not inaccurate, and the reason that they're accurate is because we don't respond to the world the way God would have us respond to the world. So my job as a pastor, because you know I'm, I'm I've been put as chief steward of this. Of this house to help us see God differently, help us see the kingdom of God more biblically. How does he want us to respond to the world? How does he want us to respond to each other? And so we're going to do that today in Romans chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, um, I highly encourage you, please, please bring your Bible to church. If you don't have a Bible, go tell our information. center. I'll get you a Bible. We want you to have a Bible, but open up to Romans chapter 14, or you can see my notes. We we kind of give you my, uh, the ability to go to my notes, and, and you can kind of see where I'm going, and, and we try to give you it ahead of time, or just pick up your phone and Google Romans chapter 14. It'll take you right there. And um, Paul is talking to a church in Romans, some context for Romans 14. Paul was an apostle, which means he planted churches. That's all apostle means. He planted churches, and, and Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church, a church he would, most theologians believe he would never reach, he would never get to meet, never visit. And he finds out later, uh, after he plants, that the church has got some infighting. Now, you've never heard of a church having infighting, right? But this one did. Had some infighting in it, and they were bickering about how to respond to the Roman culture that they lived in. I mean, how do you do that? How do you be a Christian in the in a culture that's not inherently Christian? That seems like a pretty relevant Right, question you would ask because that's kind of the culture that we live in. And Paul's writing to them, addressing a situation that he hears about the church. So he starts his church and he finds out some things are not happening the way that he had planned. Romans 14, verse 12, and it says, so then each of us will give an account for ourselves to God. He says, first, stop worrying about what others are doing. Worry about you, your life, what you are going to give an account for. Here's what I know. I'm not going to give an account for how you lived your life. I'm going to give an account for how I lived my life and how I led you to live your life. So be thankful that you don't have to give the account as the teacher who will be judged more harshly. (laughs) Me. But you're going to give an account to God one day. And some of us are so worried about what others are doing. We're so worried about that. Paul says first, think about you. Then he says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind. Predecide. Ever say predecide. Like, make up your mind right now how you choose to live. Not putting any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in and of itself. But, but... But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it's unclean. He's saying if you have a personal conviction about your life, you should look at their life. If somebody has a personal conviction about something and you don't have that same conviction, you should at least consider them, even if you don't consider their conviction. I mean, he's trying to teach them how to like live with each other. He says if your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by eating your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. He says, look, if you have, let's say, an aversion to pork, you come over to my house, and I know you have an aversion to pork, and I eat pork in front of you. He's saying, that's not, that's not, come on. My my thing is not to be like, well, it's not in the Bible. I mean, we in the New Testament. You don't have to worry about being kosher. Now, get over what your conviction is. He's saying, no, you should at least be kind about it. You should be loving about it, though. They, they, Christ died for them. He says, you should be considerate. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. And then he gets into the really good part. This is kind of our key verse today. Verse 17. He says, for the kingdom of God, there's our, there's our statement for the series, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing God and receives human approval. If you're taking notes today, which I hope you are, the title of my message today is Kingdom Response. Kingdom Response. Let's pray. Father, I love you, Lord. I thank you that, God, you have a way of teaching us and and leading us and helping us and growing us in every aspect of our life. And I love, I love it. I love it when I preach a message and in that message... I walk out in the the auditorium and everybody walks out and says, God spoke to them differently and uniquely and and in a way for them personally. God, I I love that because what that is is the Holy Spirit doing something for this message to make it personal and relevant. So God, today, get me out of the way. Let us make much of Jesus. Let us make much of your kingdom. You are king. I am not. And I pray that your church receives your message today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. How many of y'all remember high school? Raise your hand. Come on, y'all remember high school. How many of y'all try to forget high school? Raise your hand. Y'all forget. I, I remember. I don't remember a lot about high school. It's not because like I was wasted the whole time or anything, but like I just don't remember a lot of it. But one thing I do remember from high school is my very first day in high school. When I moved to high school, when I got into high school, we had transitioned from where we were living to where we were living for high school, and so I didn't get to go from the, you know, because a lot of times you go from middle school and then a high school, and it's in the same district. And so you can take your friends. Your same friends go for middle school, right, In high school. And so I didn't get to do that, so I had to learn all new friends. And I remember that first day, it was a little lonely, and I wasn't exactly the cool kid, and, and I didn't like my first two classes. And I remember this: the first day of school, we were, I was grabbed my lunch, and grab my you know my little brown bag lunch and I get it and I go over to the lunch area and I didn't want to sit with I was kind of nervous I didn't want to sit with any of the lunch crowd so I walk over to the side where there was this like um little concrete patio area and there was a concrete patio area it was wide open and on the sides there was like a concrete bench like a half wall that you can kind of go sit on so I'm like I'm gonna go grab my sandwich so I walk over and I sit down on the concrete bench and I pull out my PB&J and I start eating. And as I'm eating, I can hear in the distance this sound. And I couldn't quite understand. You know when you're kind of focused, just thinking about whatever, I couldn't understand what, what I was hearing. But as it, as it kept going, time kept going on, it started to get louder and louder. And I realized it was it was feet. It was the sound of feet. And it was first walking, and then it was like jogging, and then it was full on running. So I could kind of hear, you know, the, the patter of the foot of somebody running. And I'm like, that's kind of odd. So I look up, I look to the right, and I see this girl, and she's running running as fast as she possibly could from right to left. So she's running this way and I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And at the same time she's running from right to left, I can hear from my left ear, the same sound. So so like I can hear footsteps and they're running footsteps. And I see, and I look up and I look to the left and there's this girl, other girl, and she's now running as hard as she can from left to right. My brain did not comprehend what was fully going on because it had happened too fast. So I'm like watching this one girl run, this other girl's running. I'm like, where are they running? Now I'm from the West Coast. I'm from California. Okay, I'm sorry to say, but we invented gangs there, okay? So there's like, I'm from areas of the California where, the, where I was born is the murder capital of the world, okay? So I'm, I'm, I'm not from the nicest part of town. So when people run in that part of town, you don't ask questions and then run. You run, and then you ask questions. So I'm ready to get up, because people are running. And I'm like, this girl's running, and that girl's running. I grab my sandwich, and I'm about to take off. And I look up, and the two girls, it was like something out of a movie. You just see them converge onto each other, and it was pandemonium. This girl, I mean, one girl's punching, another girl's pulling hair, scratching. It was chaos, just as they started fighting, of course, when you're in high school, you don't run away from it. You create a circle around it. And you scream at them to encourage them in what they're doing with one simple word. And you know what it is. You, I heard them and I got into it. We were all screaming what? What were we screaming? Fight! Right. yeah, how did you know that? <laughs> Because you were probably in the same type of circle that I was. So I'm just in that circle, and I'm like, oh, you know, you're like, oh, she got her hair. Like, oh, no, oh, what's up? oh watch that, watch out. You know, you're like, and so we're watching these girls fight. Some teacher gets up in there. That teacher gets punched. That's the school I grew up in. This wasn't a high-level Christian school, I guess you could just say so they were fighting. I found out later, I asked, I said, why were they fighting? Like, what, what went down? Like, what was the reason? So I want to know, how, did, how do you get from where I was to what I was watching? And they said, well, they used to be best friends. And I said, used to be? Oh, yeah, they were best friends until that moment. And I said, they were best friends. They, oh, yeah, they grew up together. They are friends their whole life. I mean, they were close. I said, what were they fighting about? Like, it must have been serious, right? Because like, if you're fighting like that at school, day one, yanking hair out, like, what's it all about? I'm like, it's, you said, she said something about her mama, right? Like, it was deep. Like, it's something deep. Like, someone steal a boyfriend, you know, you never know. Scandalous high school, you know. This is before social media, so like, you had to be mean to their face. (laughs) Right? And so, I'm like, what happened? And they found out later. They go, oh, well, she said, this is literally what they, she said that she didn't like her fingernail polish. And I'm like, what? (laughs) They didn't like their, she didn't like their their fingernail polish, so she told them. And that was it. Set them off. And I was thinking about that because to me and you, that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Right? Like, looking at that, we're like, that's ridiculous. Why would you ever fight about things that, because here's what it really is. You fighting about stuff that don't even matter. And you know what Paul was doing? He was addressing people who are responding to a godless culture, and they're fighting about stuff that don't matter matter. You bickering about whether or not you drink or eat X, Y, and Z, you missed out on the whole point of it anyway. And Paul's trying to address a people who are struggling with living in a culture that was inherently not Christian. Rome was terrible in that time, especially if you were a Christian. And you and I are like, very like, I get it because like we look at our culture now and we're like, we live in a godless culture. Go back to your history books for just a moment. Go see what Rome was really like in that day, how they treated women, how they treated kids, how they were dealing with their sexual immorality. Go back and read it. It's bad. And they had to learn to be Christians in that culture. They had to learn to be Christians where Rome was a military superpower, the military superpower. They were affluent. They dealt with sexual immorality. They also were uh, live in a culture where they expected political saviors, Caesar, Augustus, and all of the areas and in, in, in parts of Rome. They were all worshipped as gods. He set himself up as God. So they didn't look to God for God. They looked to their political parties for God. God, we don't do that now. <laughs> Sorry, cheap cheap shot. So, uh, but at that time, they they lived in a godless society, and so you had a group of Christians, and they were like, "Well, what do we do?" And you had one group, we call them the Essenes, and they they were this communal group. They were they were unique. They said, "Okay, here's our response. We out, we out, we we don't." We don't want anything to do with this. We're going to be so holy that we will remove ourselves, become communes, and move out of Rome. We're going to live alone, me and God, and that's all we need. That's it. Then then there were the religious leaders who were more cooperative. So they weren't communal, they were cooperative. And so what they would do is they'd go, okay, well, Rome, you do Rome. We'll do us. And we'll work within the system that you set up for us, and we'll work together, and we're gonna be cooperative. And so, religious leaders did that, and oftentimes they would abuse people and misuse people in order to gain themselves power and themselves wealth. And that's why you saw a lot of people not liking them because they were kind of pawns of the Roman system. Then you had a third group of people, and this might speak to some of you in here they were the zealots, they were the fighters. They weren't communal and they weren't cooperative, they were combative. They were like, we will fight, fight the power every chance we get. Anybody in here looking for a fight? Almost always raise your hand. Come on. I met some of y'all. Some of y'all need to raise your hand. You emailed me. You found me in the lobby. You raise your hand right now. You've been looking for a fight. You would have been a zealot. And you'd have been the person to be like, nope, right is right. Wrong is wrong. And I'm going to tell you to your face and we're going to fight about it. The fourth group was. Maybe the saddest is they just became cultural hedonists. That's what, that's what they call them. It's because they just said, well, you know what? I guess we're in Rome. We'll just be Roman. You know where the when in Rome came from? Them. When in Rome. And they gave up on what they believed altogether. So the question you have to ask yourself is, what would Paul say? Who should you be? One of the four. Which one should you be? And I think Paul actually describes what we should do in response to a, quote, Roman culture. Because you and I live in one. It's not a Christian culture. It's not. And I think you and I would probably benefit to know how do we react? How do we respond? So he writes this letter to Rome, to the church at Rome. And he says, here's how you should respond. I'm going to give you three ways to respond to your culture today. Number one, number one is this is found in Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Righteousness. First way we should respond to our culture is righteousness of God. You and I are called by God through Paul's letter to respond to our non-godly culture with righteousness. Now, when I said righteousness, every single one of you thought of something different. Because we've been programmed in our mind what righteousness actually means. You've been programmed by your old pastor, by your old church, by mama, by grandmama, by what you read on the internets, because if it's on the internets, it's true. And so you and I think righteousness means one thing, but it might mean something different. Let me just give you the definition of righteousness as the Bible would describe it. In the Greek, the word righteousness is dikaiosune. It actually meant the approval of God. Okay, this is important. This is important. So when I say approval of God, you and I naturally mean what we probably mean from the religious sense that you and I now have approval from God in order for us to get to heaven. That's what we probably mean. When you're righteous, we have the righteous. We are approved of God, we get to heaven. But the Hebrew culture would never have thought of it like that. In fact, when Paul was writing it to the Roman culture with that church, he would have to- they would have known what he meant when he said, but of righteousness, what they would have taken it as: since I have received the approval of God, I will now live in a way and live in a way that honors God because of that gift. So you and I see it oftentimes in a religious way of saying righteousness only deals with me. No, 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 no. Righteousness was always relational. It always meant something to do between you and God and you and others. And your righteousness was only seen as righteousness if you treated people well what it meant. Even the Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah. It means to actually do right by people. The etymology of holiness and righteousness in its core is anything God trusts with his breath. I'm trying to, I studied it for you so you didn't have to. Because I want us to have a better understanding of what righteousness really is and what it looks like. God has trusted you with his breath. What are you going to do with it? That's what righteousness meant. In fact, when Jesus was teaching the Lord's prayer and he says, hallowed be thy name. When you hallow the name of God, when in, in, old, in the Old Testament when you got the Ten Commandments and the, and the Bible says that you should never take the, the God's name in vain, you and I take that stuff as like, we'll never use a curse word with God's name. That's what you think of it as, right? That's not what it meant. It meant never, ever, ever treat somebody in a way that makes them question my character. The character of God. It meant that in order for you to hallow the name of God, God has since given you breath. And since he's given you breath and breathed life into you, he's breathed life into you with righteousness. Are you going to live in a way that honors him? Then Paul knows this when he writes another letter to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians in First 20. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador represents someone else. Someplace else. Like we have American ambassadors to other countries. They represent America's interests. Not their own interests. We are Christ's ambassadors. We represent his interests. And this is what he gets to. As though God were making an appeal through us. He's making an appeal to the world through us, through the righteousness that you and I get from him. And we take that righteousness and we don't act like we're super holy Christians. We take that righteousness and we go treat people so good that they can't help but wonder, who do you represent? That's different than the way I learned righteousness growing up in my Pentecostal church. Because we use righteousness as a way to build walls and keep people out. Jesus' righteousness is a way to build bridges and make sure they get in. And he goes on to say, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the what? What's the word? Come on, y'all. Come on. I know I'm poking some religious people in here. It can't be about you and your holiness. God gave you righteousness. He planted it in us so that we can give it away and not use righteousness. You know, Christians use righteousness to shun people all the time, mistreat people all the time. I heard this. This is funny the other day. I was talking to some pastor, we were chatting. And he said something really, it sounded really holy. Sounded really good. God, he liked to say God like that. God, I want to learn how to do that. It sounds good. God's too holy to be in the presence of sin. I said, Really? It sounds great, sounds theological. I could see how he got there. But you gotta be careful. Because if you look at Jesus's life, I mean, don't take my word for it, go read it. The majority of Jesus's life was not around the Holy And righteous that we would consider to be righteous. The majority of the life of Jesus was around sinners. God's not too holy to be around, not to ever be around sin. God's too holy to not be around sin. He's so concerned with you and ours life that he wants to change the narrative of what sin would like to write into your life. He wants you to win he hands you righteousness says what are you going to do with it how are you going to treat people are you going to love them like i loved him or are you going to submit to the kingdom of rome righteousness in summary is living in a way that allows for what god is doing in you to do in others. So the question you have to ask yourself today, is that how you, how's your righteousness in your marriage? I'm sure you know a lot about the Bible, but do you do a lot of the Bible in your marriage? Has your holiness and your closeness to God gotten you better at being a husband, being a wife, How's righteousness on your job with that boss that drive you crazy? Has your righteousness and what you know about God got you to be a better employee? Or do you show up late, leave early, and then say, I got to go to church? Try and talk to people about church. Let me just tell you, if you're a terrible employee, stop telling people you're Christians. You're making it hard for all of us. How's your righteousness with, come on, with your friends, with your neighbors, with, with, with that family member you don't like? Say, so you want to live in the kingdom? This is how the kingdom looks. This is what the kingdom does in response to the world. We choose righteousness. Number two, number two, I'll get off of that. Y'all don't like it. Number two, peace of God. Peace of God. How many of y'all want some peace? Raise your hand, touch some sky. Absolutely. Everybody wants peace. Nobody wants conflict. Nobody wants that. Yeah, I like to live in conflict nonstop my whole life. Everybody wants peace. When we talk about peace biblically, peace biblically is actually broken into three different areas. Three different areas. Spiritual, psychological, it's relational. Spiritual in the sense that you have peace with God. Psychological means you have peace within yourself, so like you know, your mind, your thoughts, your emotions. And then you have peace relationally, which means you have peace with others. And so Paul writes in Romans, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and, and peace. And the question you have to ask yourself is, in the kingdom, how do you get peace with each of these? So a spiritual peace is pretty clear. The Bible lays out how you have peace with God. Well, number one, in order for you to have peace with God, you need to know you weren't at peace with God to begin with. You and I are enemies to God's kingdom by our nature. I and mean, Paul writes it all over the book of the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament, but I'll give you one in the New Testament. It says, he says in Colossians chapter 121, he says, This includes you who were once gone far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And you know you have evil thoughts and actions, so we don't have to highlight for them. I don't even have to get you to close your eyes and think of your evil thoughts. You already know what they are. By nature, we are enemies, we were enemies with God. So we don't have peace with God because of who we are by nature. However, how I, this is why I worship the king is that I, I can now have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have been, we have, we have what? We have we have peace with who? With God, because of what Jesus Christ our Lord did for us. He is the key to our peace with God. So my peace has nothing to do with God, has nothing to do with you, and your peace with God has nothing to do with me, or a church, or religion, or way of thinking, or rules, or steps, or some type of repenting process. All you have to do is believe in Christ, who raised himself from the dead and created a bridge between you and our terribleness and God's holiness, and we now have access to the Father. Isn't that so good? You have peace with God. So that could be some of your step. Some of you in here might not know the Lord. I'm so happy you're here. You need to know this. We do church for you. I preach this word of God for you. All the other Christians in here, they just hear so they won't get fined. You know what I'm saying? Like they hear, they already know this word. You need to know it for yourself. No one can account to God for you on your behalf. So my prayer at the end of this service, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you want to give your life to Jesus and have peace with God, you can do that. You can do that. But psychological peace is different. Psychological peace is unique because in the kingdom of God, for peace with God, we give our lives to Jesus. In the kingdom of God, for peace psychologically, we submit our thoughts to Christ. We don't keep them. We don't own them. We don't rule our thoughts. Second Corinthians, Paul writes another letter to the Corinthian church. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets up self up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Obedient, you know what that word obedient in the Greek means? To submit. Are you catching a theme here? In order you to have peace in all three areas of these categories, you need one word, Submission. So you gotta submit your life to Jesus. You gotta submit your life to your thoughts to Christ in order for you to have peace in your thought life, in your mind, within yourself. I gotta submit it to the kingdom of God. And you know what's so funny? I've read like every book on anxiety and depression. Psychological book, not like Christian book, like every psychological like that has been written, I've read. Most of it, I didn't understand a word. But the parts I did understand all point back to one concept. The more you try to control your thoughts, the worse it gets. It comes to that root. That sounds familiar. The more I try to control my life, the worse it... Does anybody else have that happen in their life but the pastor of this church? Yeah. The more I try to not think something, what happens? you you think so. I love to put my thoughts in a headlock. Anybody else? I got you thought. Stop. And I'll just punch it all day long. Stop thinking that thought. I'm tired of thinking it. Stop it. You're not going to win. I'm going to take you. And we think taking captive is this. Paul says, no, 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 no. You ruling over your thought life makes it worse. God ruling over your thought life? Oh, that, that, that's different. Yeah, that's right. So if you were me and I were you, you we should put our thoughts at the foot of Jesus. I submit my thought. I'm not in control of my thoughts anymore. Because me left unto myself is not a good thing. It's just not. In my head, it's not good. Because I'm fickle. Anybody else fickle? If I'm having a good day, if I'm having a good time at the party, if I'm in a good mood, I'm good. I'm kind. I'm like the nicest person Aaron. I'm the nicest version of Aaron you'll ever meet. But if I'm having a bad day, if I'm having a bad if I'm in a bad mood, if I ain't having a good time at the party, you gonna know about it. That's in my kingdom when I'm running things because I'm fickle. But God God says, wait a minute, i got to be careful that I can allow my thoughts. I like what John 14 says. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. This is Jesus talking. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Peace doesn't come with more information for you inside of your mind. Peace comes from impartation. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from him. So I'm not saying you don't learn about your anxiety, but I am saying is at the end of the day, what freedom you're looking for is gonna come from the hands of the king. Now let's talk about relational peace. relationship with others, with others. This is kingdom peace. Did you know this, this kingdom peace, this is unique, okay? This kingdom peace takes effort. The first one, like peace with God, it really doesn't take any effort. It's actually what God did that brings you peace with God. Um, but, 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 but what's different about this one, with others, it's gonna take some work. It's going to take some work on your behalf. Here's why I know this. Uh, Matthew 5, Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers are active. That's an active word. That's a verb more than it's a noun. That's like you got to get up and do something. They'll be called king, sons of God. They'll be part of the kingdom. They're in the kingdom if there are peacemakers. Because kingdom people have kingdom methods when it comes to people. And all I mean by kingdom methods is that it's how God wants me to relate to others. And so I want to relate to others in the way that I want to relate to them a lot differently than the way God would want me to relate to them. Especially if you don't treat me right. Say something to me and see if I won't say it back. Right? Cut me off in traffic and see if I don't do Aaron's method instead of the kingdom. Just... I feel like we're all on the edge of save. You know, I'm just barely saved on the other side of the line. I will conveniently tiptoe across if you say something about my mama. But in the kingdom, come on. He's got a method and ways to communicate with others. They're called kingdom principles. So let me give you a relational principle in the kingdom of what works, Okay if someone offends you, a kingdom principle and method is forgiveness. It just is. It, it just, it just is. That's the kingdom way. Like, well, what if they didn't ask, what, what, what if they didn't ask for your forgiveness? It's, I, I just told you, it's a kingdom thing. It's about your king. You are a part, they aren't a part of the kingdom, but you are. So what you do and what you say is accountable to God, they have to be given account for God. One day, Not not you for them, it's me for me. So as far as me and my house, we will serve the what? The Lord, which means I have a king. And I serve at the pleasure of the king. And he told me, I forgive when you offend me. To be kind, not right. That's another principle. For those of you who love, 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 love social media. And love, love, love telling everybody how right you are. I'm sure you are. You're so right. You're so right. Baby, you're so right. That's so good. I'm so happy for you that you're right. Nobody's listening to you. Well, I got a lot of likes. Nobody's listening to you. But if you are kind, oh, see, that's different. In the kingdom, you're not trying to be right, you're trying to be kind. Jesus had a, you want to know how I know that? Jesus, who was the most right, See where I'm going? He was the most right all the time, every day. He chose to be kind, even to the people that were killing him. Some of y'all can't be kind to the people who are just kind of rude to you. (laughs) She didn't have to look at me like that. I'm going to say something about her behind her back. He could have been right hanging on the cross. They asked him to be right. Go read it. Hey, if you are who you say you are, get them angels. Yeah. Prove your rightness. Jesus didn't even need angels. He can be like, You disappear, and you disappear, <laughs> and you no longer exist, and uh, yeah, I'm done with all of it. And he could have been right. What did he choose? Why, because it's the kingdom. How about in your marriage, I'm going to give you one. Nobody's going to like this. So, like, in my kingdom, the man is right all the time. Come on, guys, give me some love, right? Come on, y'all. You're like who, 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 right? Show me a little flex. Be like, that's right. Talk to her, pastor. Talk to her right now. I'm a getter. That's in my kingdom. I'm right like 99% of the time. So me and my wife be fighting this week. It was big, too. We like to fight. We Mexican. We just go for it. You know what I'm saying? I know you're not supposed to. I'm not sure it's in the Bible, don't fight or something, but we like, we scribble that part out. We just say, we go for it, you know? We throw some hot sauce on it, right? You know? We got to have a little, little spice. So, anyway, um, we fighting. And I'm mad. And she's mad. And I try to go in with my kingdom strategy. I already told you what it was. What is my kingdom strategy? Who's right? That's right. So I walk up in there and be like, because I'm king, let me show you what's up. Just, you know, just gotta, you got to walk right, guys. You know, you can't be cowering. You know, you got to push the chest out. I said, and I laid it down. I said, A plus B equals, I had a list. Anybody, go, anybody walk into a fight with a list? Anybody other than me? Yeah, I walk in I don't want to forget all the ways I'm mad at you. All right, so all the ways you messed up. So one, two, three, four, five, six. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me miraculously that strategy did not work <laughs> so she got mad and I got mad and it just blew up so I'm like all right that's it so I go to my office and I pull up my phone and I call my pastor and I said pastor let me tell you what she did and I pulled out my list and I laid it out for him I said and then I got to the end of it and I said this was so good this was so good I said listen Now, I need you to get her. Go ahead. Now you got all you need. Go ahead. And he goes, Okay, okay. Hey, um, Aaron, go get your Bible. And I'm like, Oh, no. But I had a little bit of, I don't know, courage with my pastor that day. I said, I'll get it. I read it too. Okay. Take me. Take me there. He goes, open up Ephesians. I go, oh, Ephesians 5, and 23. I know that one. I got that tattooed. Wives, you want to know what it is? I don't even need to read the Bible for it. Even non-Christian dudes know this verse. Wives, what, what? How'd y'all guys know that? Submit, woman, submit to the man. You submit to him. Just take it. And he goes, no, 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 no. Back up. Back up. He goes, go to 521. I said, I didn't even put that in my, I ripped that out of my Bible. It's not even in there. He goes, go get yourself a new box. Find that 520. What does it say? I said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and he said you have missed the purpose of marriage it is mutual submission and I said okay and he said Submission is the key. Pride breeds pride. Humility breeds humility. Her submission that you're desperately looking for is on the heels of your submission. And then I tried to hang up on him. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me. And I said, yes, sir, may I have some more? And he said, everybody wants a pastor until they got one. Call me later. And he hung up. <laughs> and I'm a man under authority. I'll tell you this. At any point in my life, I'm not perfect. I don't do everything right. But I, I listen to my pastor. I have a fear of God for that. So I went into the room. And I walked in with sticky notes. <laughs> notes from my pastor. And I laid at the foot of my bed of my wife. And I apologized and I walked through my problems. And I submitted to her. And you know what was crazy? It was like a miracle happened. She transformed before my very eyes. (laughs) She became a different person. We talked, we cried. We kiss, come on somebody. It's like, we, but like, because pride breeds pride. And submission breeds submission. And at the end of the day, in the kingdom, if I want to relate well to someone else, in marriage, mutual submission. That's the kingdom way. Last one is this, and it's joy of God, and I'm done. He says, righteousness he says peace, and he says joy. The joy word there in the Greek is karat. actually means to be the source of joy. You and I read that as, like, we get God's joy. No, no. He actually meant you actually got to be the, the you have to be God's joy. That's different, right? So for you to be in the kingdom, let me clarify, you have to be the joy of God to others. So it's meant to be given. Matthew 10 says freely you have received, freely you you give. Kingdom of God offers the antidote to every depression and anxiety that the world has to offer. It's his joy coming out of you into other people. John 15, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you will be what? Filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will what? Overflow. What's the point of an overflowed life of joy so that you can bump into and dump your joy into someone else's life? The question you gotta ask yourself is, are you that person? Most of us are comfortable being Eeyores. Nobody wants to be the Tigger, but you always want a Tigger, right? You always want the guy coming in your life, encouraging you, hey man, how's it going? You wanna go do something, you gonna make it, but you walk around being Eeyore. I'm never gonna do anything. No one wants to help me. I'm a victim. When you're supposed to be the joy of the Lord to other people, the joy of God, God has an overwhelming and overflowing abundance of joy. And as you're connected to him, he actually says it. John 15 says it on the heels of what I just read you before that he was talking about, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Vines only give out if they're connected to the source. And he says, you're not supposed to walk around. He goes, some of you walk around like this, no joy. But then some of you just get some joy. You're not even supposed to walk around like this. What you're supposed to walk around is like this so that when you fill someone else up, then God comes in. You've been connected to him all week long. In my prayer, in my small group, at church, when I'm going to school, when I'm going to work, God, you filling me with my joy. And then what do I do? I walk up to somebody and they bump into me on the street. Hey man, how's it going? God's going to help you. You're going to make it in life that you, you are more than an overcomer. Satan can't beat you. You're going to win. You're going to win. And then you go back and you fill up again. And most of us, just walk around wondering if somebody's gonna fill them up. What about you walking around? You you fill someone? You fill someone up. God is saying that's the kingdom. And He'll know you if you're part of the kingdom if you learn to do that. It's my prayer today. As we think about the kingdom of God, can can it affect how I respond to the world? Yes, I'm going to be the righteousness to this world, and I'm going to be the, the peace to this world, and I'm going to be the, the joy to this world and my world and their world. Come on. That's what God wants for you. That's my prayer for you today. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Lord, I thank you that today, Lord, you have something so clear to, to give each and every one of us. No no doubt, no doubt you've spoken, but you you spoke personally to us. So we all have a step. We all have a way. We all have a thought. We have a something to do, that God, uniquely, you're going to do something. And so with that, God, we ask you today, right now, to speak into our lives, to speak into the people and the families of this church, so that we can actually take steps to be the righteousness, to be the peace, and to be the joy in this world through your kingdom. In Jesus' name.